It's time for another wrestling podcast. All right, all right, all right. Are you fucking kidding me? Guys, I got blocked again on Twitter. I'm your Mark of Marks. That's the most reliable source on the interwebs. The social assassin at your disposal, bitches. Guys, custom titles, man. Uh, I, I love custom titles. Some... Some are, some are okay, some are great, some are just like why they even make it. And I think the new Fiend title falls into the category of why the fuck did they make it. Have you seen... Uh, you've seen it. You've seen this. This <laughs> $6,000 fucking... No. $6,500, oh, $7,000. Oh, yeah. <laughs> with taxes and shipping, it comes out to seven oh grand. God. It's just fucking... It's like a plastic mask. Like, it's... it's. They took one of his masks, stretched it over fucking uh, a piece of leather, and it's not even like... It's just... You know, it's not even like a fancy title. It's just like carved out of fucking leather, stapled together or whatever, and that... Six, six grand. Six fucking grand, man. Sixty-five thousand dollars who's uh, the guy who makes it because is, isn't he the some giant like horror specialist or something like that like i'm not sure which yeah. one made this but i know exactly what you're talking about he made the mask he, he made the actual mask mask and he made the title so it's one of the reasons why they're charging so much listen if i'm paying like you know 6500 plus 500 in tax it's with shipping it's going to equal out to seven something like First of all, I would never pay that money for a fucking title belt. Never in my life. I wouldn't even pay that much money for WrestleMania tickets, especially if it was behind the stage. <laughs> um, it's not even a it title. Even, it's just not even metal on it. Yeah. Now, even if, if someone were to pay that money, they better have, like, Bray Wyatt personally delivering it to your house. And when he walks in your house, the fucking lights better fucking go out. <laughs> and he better put you in a mandible claw. Before he leaves, oh, and you, and you should be able to smack JoJo on the ass too. Yeah, you should. You should get a lot of that. You should maybe <laughs> have. You should maybe be able to have maybe like you know, the right to name his next child. Who the fuck? The first fucking Mark you see wearing that, just fucking take his wallet because you know he's got a fucking shitload of money to fucking spend on nothing. Sixty. Oh, I can't wait. You know I what I do like about it, Credo? Though? A... The, the fact that. The Fiend has the Fiend title, but when they do the Firefly Funhouse shit, Bray Wyatt is actually holding the Universal title, so that is kind of cool. The blue title. Eh. Oh, man. I just couldn't believe the price. Like, maybe if it was like... I, don't, I couldn't even see paying hundreds of dollars for that. It's a lot of fucking money for nothing. I don't know. Fucking anyway. That's not something that you walk out of the house with, though. The, the whole point of that title is it's because it's made by somebody who specializes like horror movies he's like a legend in the business apparently from from what they were saying on the radio so it's pretty cool i mean that's not something you're gonna wear i mean if if maybe you are because if you have seven to eight grand to buy something like that motherfucker you're probably rich as fuck <laughs> some kid's gonna wake up on christmas morning with the fiend championship mommy i want the belt and they're like all right let's go look <laughs> seven thousand dollars what the fuck <laughs> My God, fucking Santa Claus, guys! Episode two forty. This is another wrestling podcast. I'm your Mark of Marks, Credo. I am Minority Mike, and naturally, I'm the social assassin, Angry Cooter. Bitches! Bitches. Oh, I was I was gonna jump. Oh, uh, you know I gotta do the dramatic pause on you now. <laughs> God damn it, guys! Episode two forty. We're we're climbing the ranks. Uh, 
on our march into 2020 uh joining us today joining us with jb he's gonna be talking with jared silberclite uh today's show is trust fund approved because uh, northeast wrestling star jared silberclite is gonna be joining us talking a lot about uh i guess how he got into the business his trust fund and maybe he could sponsor us uh mike you, you've had plenty of experience with some of our sponsors maybe we'll get into that later <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But uh, uh, stay tuned for that one. But Jared Silverkite will be joining us, guys. Stay tuned for that. Um, guys, over the past few weeks, we've talked a lot of things. AEW, WWE, you know, the whole buildup this year, I felt 2019 was like a buildup of when AEW is going to debut. Then they debuted. Then are they going to beat NXT or whatever. Then there was like the whole war starting. And then they started coming out with these commercials. Mike, can you explain the commercials we've seen? Because they, they kind of went down a notch in my book lately. Well, the most recent commercials um, we're talking about, correct? Yes. The most recent ones, well, they they took the liberty of quoting a lot of the, uh, the magazines like Forbes and all this stuff, um, how they're demolishing or burying or blowing up uh, NXT. And, you know, I'm a fan of AEW. I think it's a great show. I actually watch it. Um, but they are doing a lot of things that, to me, it rubs me the wrong way. Where you you have a great product and you have a good show. Just stick to that formula and stop trying to bring up your competitors. Um, but, yeah, it's just that, that type of commercials that they've been airing lately is just – it's really – I don't really think it's cool. Like, I mean, I don't want to sound like a hypocrite because a couple months ago I was like all about how they smashed the throne. But the only reason why I was all about how they, why they smashed the throne is because Triple H threw out the first jab. So Cody smashed the throne. There you go. You're even. Now get to work. You know, put on a product. You don't need to be going back and forth anymore. But, you know, NXT lost or NXT won the first week and then. AEW comes out and does that. Listen, a NXT lost the very first week against AEW, and what did they do? They put out a press release congratulating them, and they you didn't see any petty or any stuff like that coming from NXT. Yeah. And when AEW they lost their first week, and next thing you know you're seeing these commercials, and they're constantly bringing up like NXT, and it's like I kind of like, I can't defend that stuff. I could defend the product because it's good, but I can't defend the stuff like that because yeah. it's just like, come on, man. Because it's, like, it's like AEW Dynamite buries NXT. AEW Dynamite trounces NXT. AEW Dynamite crushes NXT. Uh, quotes from comicbook.com or Forbes and the rap. And, and it's just like, just stop comparing yourself. Just do you, you know, like stop, you know, stop trying to bring up that you're on with the same time as NXT or whatnot. Um, and speaking of, you know, I don't know when they made these commercials, but the past two weeks, AEW lost uh, the ratings, even though they just beat them this week again. So AEW takes the lead this week, but not by much. But at the same time, I think it's it, it's almost like, okay, look at the ratings, but at the same time, like, the ratings aren't going to, I think, tell the whole story because I honestly haven't watched in, like, three weeks. I still got to catch up on some stuff, and... All because of just the uh, timing, you know, and there's nothing that's really happening over there that's making me want to tune in. So 
But when I saw that, when I saw these commercials, man, I was like, that's they just went down a notch in my book a little bit because it's like, stop bringing them up, stop making it like it's this war, even though everybody wants to call it like what the Wednesday Night War, the new Wednesday Night War, and all that stuff. But it's just like, just just be yourself, do what you guys are doing, or, or do stuff that WWE's not doing. Don't bring them up by name. <sighs> oh my God, why? Why do you make me have to be the bad guy, Credo? <laughs> why, oh, why, oh. Great. Your main event, we got fucking John Moxley versus Jelly Nutella. Part two. <laughs> like, we haven't seen that. Weren't that a pay-per-view together in, in a match? Oh, whatever it was. Exactly. It was fucking stupid. I can't stand it. How is Joey Janela in the main event of anything? He can't draw a main event in a fucking high school gym. Okay, stop it. Your product is okay. It's a good show. I watched it this week. There's some good stuff, you know, bits and pieces. But from beginning to end, NXT is clearly the better show. It just is. Every division has a direction inside as well as outside of the title picture where you see them setting up a feud a woman's feud that is not revolved around the women's title, as well as setting up uh, probably Shayna Baszler's most difficult matchup going to be with Rhea Ripley. They are making stars down there. And over in AEW, I think Sammy Guerrero is on his third fucking nickname moniker. <laughs> Wasn't he like when they started the greatest ever or something like that? And now he's the Spanish God. I want to say he was something else before that. Some of these guys just need to find their identity and stick with it and stop flip-flopping like a fucking politician because the shit is trash. Well, the the Spanish God thing is kind of like a joke because Jericho calls him that. Does it matter? Listen, I I understand what I'm saying, though. I enjoy some of the dumb things they do, the entertaining things they do over at AEW. The one thing I do enjoy is, you know, you're, you're not seeing, like, the same stuff. Every now and then, you're seeing different title matches. You know, you got to see Scorpio Sky one week. You got to see yep. Darby Allen this coming week. We're going to see what Jungle Boy can do in the ring. I haven't really got to see Jungle Boy in, in a one-on-one match, so I'm interested to see how he does against a guy like Jericho. What Jericho is doing is brilliant. Because what what Cooter said a couple weeks ago, and I know Cooter sticks to this, is they don't have star power. Well, what they're doing right now is they're putting these guys who don't have much star power to putting them in the ring against Jericho for title matches so they can get that star power and get themselves over. They got to get in there and actually perform. Jericho really do so much. And I, I just like the fact that, you know, we're getting different matchups. One thing I do like, and I'm going to say this right now, is they're getting it out of the way now. Eventually, they're leading into a John Moxley-Chris Jericho feud. We all knew this was happening. We all knew it was going to happen sooner or later. I'm I'm happy that it's happening now, that they're going to get it done and over with, and it's not going to happen at a big show like, you know, if they have their type of like a WrestleMania big event. They're doing it now, they're getting it done, and they're going to move on from it. That's that what that's what I'm happy about. I I got to I got to ask you a question. You're What's you're up? saying they're making stars by putting them up against Chris Jericho. Okay. They're, they're trying to build stars, yes. They're trying to build stars. So the guy who has great name recognition and a great little gimmick going on there, you're going to fucking job him out in the fucking tag team division 
week in and week out and then put him in a, in a match against Jericho and that's going to make him a star? How? It just doesn't work that way to me. How is he even... Why? why because he interrupted a promo? Get the fuck out of here. Come on. It, it, I mean, it just, the booking doesn't make sense to me. Well, that's what they even said, too. I think they said... I didn't watch it, but they said Jungle Boy... Uh, and the Luchasaurus got their first win on the, the TV show. So it's like, I don't think they, they haven't even won anything, right? And now he's getting a, a title shot of uh, with Chris Ooh. Jericho. Then I thought the whole show, too, is also about wins mean something. Or, you know, remember the whole thing? That's where, my like, point. Nah, and he's know. jobbing out every week. It just doesn't make any sense. Well, they I don't think trying. he's jobbing out the tag team. The person that loses all the time is your favorite wrestler, Marco Stunt. Oh, God. Out of that tag team. But so I'm fucking... Sh- the human dildo. Listen, I'm I'm interested to see what Jungle Boy has to offer. I mean, maybe he might go out there and stink the fucking sh- place up. Maybe he might actually go out there and shock everybody and prove you wrong and prove everybody else. Whoa, wrong. whoa, 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 whoa! I'm not saying anything bad about Jungle Boy. I, think oh, I never said a, you did. I'm just. Saying. I think he's a very talented wrestler, and I think he's really good. But what I'm saying is, if you're sitting there telling me you're building a star, that's that's something that's got to happen. One match isn't going to do that for you, and. It, it, maybe it will, but it's so rare that it happens with just one match. You build a star gradually. I, I kind of disagree there because Darby Allen was only known to hardcores, and then he had that crazy match with Jericho. It was just that one match, and now he's like a household name over are you there. Fu- what are you talking about? He's had other matches besides that. That's not no, the one that put him on the map. The one that put him on the map was him and Cody. That's the one that really put him on. That was the pay-per-view, but on the TV, the free TV where he had that title match with Jericho. That was the match where Jericho handcuffed him. That was the match that put him on on there, not the draw with Cody. Hmm. Well, either way, this week was 845,851,000, so a 6,000 difference uh, in viewers, which isn't that much, but... You know, I don't know. I, I agree with you, Cooter. I think NXT de- definitely has that better product, and I think it's one of those things where I'm more invested in those people because I've been invested them, invested with them for a few years now. And like Jericho and stuff, I don't know. Like I, 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 I gave AEW a chance to where I wanted to see what they were doing. I wanted to see who's the all elite, if you will. And I feel like I've seen everything. You know what I mean? Yeah. To where you have a company of WWE to where you have, quote-unquote, three brands, Raw, SmackDown, NXT, different faces, which they, they don't get used every week or whatnot. So you see something different technically every week or whatever. AEW, you're struggling with your two hours of the same roster every week. And it's like, to me, I'm like, I've seen it. You know, I, yeah, I'll tune in whenever I want, but I, I feel like there's not that much of a draw for me to go in there every week until something, I think, big happens. And I was talking to my friend at work about it, and he was like, well, what would make you, you tune in? What would make the numbers go back up? And I'm like, I don't know. They, I think they need either another big name to cross over to see, you know, get that you know, get that interest in it again. Like when Dean Ambrose went or whatever, John Moxley went over there, you know, it was like, Oh, you know, who's going to be next. And that was kind of like an appeal to people from WWE. Like, Ooh, he's over there. Why is he over there? Let me tune in see what's going on. Uh, but you know, I feel like that's kind of fading and it's like, well, what's going to pick these numbers up. And I feel like it's, they need another big name, not a Jack Swagger, like a really (laughs) big name to, to draw you in. And I don't know, it's, I love, like you said too, Mike, I love, like you said, how, you know, like his Scorpio Sky versus Jericho, which is awesome. It's different and it's a good match, but it's like, 
I think definitely changing all that up and at the, going back full circle, these commercials, these ads, you don't need to mention NXT. And it, it just looks really bad, especially when you lost like the past two weekends where you didn't really pummel them. They pummeled you or whatever they, they fucking said. So that looked really stupid coming out after you lost the ratings in two weeks in a row. Wait, do you know what was really stupid? What's that? Dustin Rhodes coming out dressed as one of the young bucks and doing dives. Get the fuck out of here. You can't open your show with that. I'm sorry. That was hot garbage. That was it's, hot garbage. It's all it's elite, It's impressive Scooter. to see it. That's not elite. That's, that's, that's an old man waiting to be getting put into fucking retirement home. You keep doing some shit like that. And I love Dustin, and I think he's still capable of having great matches in his own style. Yeah. But I think that was the joke, though. I, yeah, it, it wasn't funny. It was stupid. It's like the dick flip to me. It's not cool. And that reminds me of like when Kevin Owens did it when they were in PWG. Like he dressed like the Young Bucks, but that was like that was a long time ago. It wasn't like you, he know. also wasn't ninety years old. Okay, <laughs> he wasn't. You know? Yeah, I will say one thing. It, I, I I saw someone mention this on Twitter, and it does make sense to where. And, and I love Cody Rhodes. I do. I think you know we we've all discussed it's pretty much everything that Cody touches sometimes will turn to gold. Yes, but he's starting to become what Ric Flair was during Nitro, just coming out there and always cutting a promo and always doing this and that. It just reminds me too much of Ric Flair from Nitro, and I think you know, and he does cut some good promos, but sometimes I think it's kind of over the top. Sometimes, like his promo this week was a little over the top. For me, where he, I mean, he was he was burying MJF, but then he brought up NXT in his promo, which I don't like. How he brought up, you know, yep. there's something about the crossroads, and now you could see it on both channels or some shit like they, that. They, they botched it on the of, other channel too, or they botched it. They botched move. it on the other channel or something like that. Like, I don't know. He's starting to come off like Ric Flair from Nitro, where Ric Flair's out there every week cutting promos, trying to cut passionate promos all the time. I, a passionate promo from Cody is good every now and then, but I don't want to see it every week. Yeah, and that could, that's you know that Damian Priest of? uses that. Well, not only that, you know, you know who, who cuts used to cut promos like that week in and week out. And it was driving me nuts for the longest time. Was when Mick Foley was the commissioner. Yeah, he was always yeah. trying to get some. He's always trying to put on like a fucking William Shakespeare type soliloquy, and it's like, yo, dude, just shut the fuck up. I, I want to say see the action. I will say this. I say Cody shouldn't be going out there and cutting promos every week, but for one person who that's actually working for, I don't know if you guys watch NWA Power still, but Magnus goes out there and cuts a promo maybe once a week, once every other week, and that guy is fucking gold. But he's the champ, isn't he? He's the champ. He makes that 10 pounds of gold feel like it's like the greatest title in the world. What do you think is his story? Because he's Mickey James's husband. How come WWE NXT nobody wanted to pick him up? I feel like even because he was a part of Global Force Wrestling, he was their main guy kind of thing too, and nobody picked him up. Why? Like, what's wrong with Magnus? Do you think it was that, or maybe he just didn't want to go? I don't know. I just feel like it was, especially with your, when your wife's like wrestling on the roster and now when calling. When's the last Ma- time you saw her on TV anyway? Well, she was. She was calling some matches, right, a few weeks ago or something? I don't know. On another, like, main event, maybe? I don't know. I heard something that she was doing something. You know you know what I think that if it was smart, Triple H should do for the NXT brand and do this before AEW tries to do this is to call up Billy Corgan, 
who um and then kind of arrange a deal where he can get Nick Aldis to maybe defend that NWA title on a takeover. Kind of give it that spotlight because Triple H always talks about how much he loved that NWA title because of Dusty. Yeah, it was a big thing to everybody over there. So maybe give it some spotlight. It adds it adds more to a takeover show that you're bringing in a prestigious title for a match on there just to give it a spotlight. And it also helps Billy Corgan out too. I mean, because NWA is great. Don't get me wrong. It's not competition to NXT. It's it's nowhere near. But it's a great show, and both parties will benefit off of it. I think they need to do that before AEW tries to do something like that. No, I, I feel like just in Vince's world, another company exists. You know what I mean? Like he doesn't even want to give anybody the spotlight outside of WWE. And hey, and they brought like, in Jason Thunder Liger. I know. Contract. And, and let's also be honest. They they did have the Evolve card and put yeah. WWE stars on the network. So I mean, it's a, it's a very it's possible. I'd yeah. say it's a, it's a very good possibility. Let me ask, let me ask you a question, Cooter. You might be able to pick this out right off the bat. Mm. In that, let's just say Triple H does bring in Nick Aldis for, for the NWA title match on an NXT Takeover event. If you had to pick the guy who Nick Aldis would defend that title against, who would it be? Mm. And it's not. We're not saying that he's going to drop the title. It's just no a spotlight but- match. I would do Adam Cole and uh, champion versus champ if they did a kind no, of thing. No, like I, I wouldn't want to do that because then you make devalue your champion. You devalue your champion exactly. I would say I don't want to say a Gargano. Maybe a, maybe a Tommaso Ciampa or maybe a Keith Lee. Yeah. I, I'm big on a lot of guys over there. There's just so many. There's just so much talent over there that I'm really invested in. Dijak, Lee. Champa, Gargano, Dumb was another one. I'm really uh, Riddle. Yeah. I mean, they've built a lot of guys, and and Velveteen Dream is on the shelf. God knows when he'll be back. But that's another guy that they've they've that's gotten over that they've made. I haven't seen the competition over there make make anybody really, <laughs> except maybe Sammy. All right. Well, who would you have picked? Um, it's tough, like you said. But I think if I would have threw anybody out there, I probably would have either. It would have been either Gargano or Pete Dunne. Well, in a, in, a, in, a, in a pure wrestling match, yeah. But I'm thinking you, you want a little bit of star power to, to draw. Like, I think it would be interesting because even if, even though he's not really a champ, he's kind of like the leader of that locker room. So. I think putting Champa in that spot is smart too because he can he can go too. Yeah. Um, so that's the only reason I really picked him. And it, you could say Gargano because yeah, he's the heart and soul of NXT. But uh, I I think Champa can help build a match with promos and stuff way better than Gargano could. Because, I would yeah. I would also put somebody in that position that can take a loss and it doesn't hurt them. Right, Gargano could take a loss. It's not going to hurt him. So could Ciampa, though. You think he's there now? I think I I think everything he does is great because he could. He's one of them guys who can go back and forth if he wants to. Heel face. If he was to lose that match, he could turn heel right there, get his heat, and he'd be all right. No. Get his heat back, beat the shit out of him after the match, and send him on his way back to the NWA. Thanks for coming. Get the fuck out of here. 
Well, you know, guys, one thing we've talked about before, a lot of has to do with returns and surprises and how they just don't do it anymore. I mean, like, oh, Stone Cold's going to be back on Raw tonight, so we got to announce it, we got to tweet it, we got to let everybody in the world know to tune in. And I get it, we get it. In this day and age, you want people to tune in. No one's just going to, you know, tune in. Uh, or they're probably tuned out, and you want them to get tuned in, so they're going to ruin surprises, but... They just announced that Jomo, John Morrison, is on his way back to the WWE. Uh, I think the last time he worked there was in 2011, maybe. I think that's when he left. So it's been a while for John Morrison. He's done a lot of stuff on the outside, uh, but he's returning. And I don't know, guys. No surprise. People are saying, oh, why don't you wait till the Rumble to do it? And I get it. But at the same time, I mean, is John Morrison signing or returning like something you... You need to have as a surprise, or is it okay to just just announce it? I mean, Johnny. You know, you know what's crazy is when, when I think of somebody who's been away from the company as long as he is, and they used it as a surprise. Lashley came to mind because he had a long layoff doing indies, doing MMA. He was probably gone a good seven, eight years too. You know. Yeah. So. I think this could have been best used as a as a surprise for the Rumble. The only problem is is he would have been off of TV for for how long? And it's obvious that he's going to be going over there. It's going to be obvious anyway uh-huh. because you're not seeing him on Impact, et cetera, et cetera. So before it gets out, let them break their own news. That's the way they're probably looking at it. Yeah, and it, what's funny is like I mean uh, I think their Facebook put it out saying like if you if you haven't seen John if you don't know who John Morrison was or is in the last seven years here's here's what he's done or something like that and that's like wow it's been seven years and that's all that's a long time I mean you know out of sight out of mind but he's been Johnny Impact he's been Johnny uh, Lucha Underground or whatever his name was on there Johnny Mundo or whatever um, but I, he's one hell of an athlete. We've had him on the show. Hell, I've drove, I drove him up to the civic center or whatever for a show up here. Uh, in between all that, there's a <laughs> whole Melina other left, and Melina left, Melina her, left her, cell her cell phone in your car. <laughs> left her phone that. in there. Yep. Uh, so a, a lot of things have happened, but you know, I think this guy, one thing is that he's talented. I think, you know, it, just what he can do in the ring is a lot different than a lot of uh, what others can do. And I know he's he was a guy too that was never really great with promos, but I think within the seven years he's been away, I think he's become a lot better than what he used to be. So I hope they do something better with him. I hope it's not like a Bobby Lashley or you know like a, some kind of mid card push. I want to see them actually do something with John Morrison this time, Jomo. Uh, but speaking of other surprises and other returns. We just saw a little vignette for Sheamus. Sheamus is on his way back. Oh uh, gosh! No when mo- did this happen? No Mohawk. Uh, I think it was on SmackDown, and I think they sh- yeah they showed a little promo. Right. So Elias returned. Kushida returned. Uh, a little returns here and there before the end of the new year. So uh, I don't know. Are you guys excited for any of these names? Who's uh, Kushida on? What what show is he on? On NXT. He he did okay. Yeah, came back. I must uh, have missed that. You, that must have been the. Because I've been watching NXT on Hulu, and it's still only an hour on Hulu. So there's there's a segment or two that's getting cut yeah. from the original yeah, you broadcast. Gotta, you might as well DVR it and get the two hours rather than getting the hour. Oh, I just they, watch it on the Hulu. network the next day. It's the same thing. Yeah. But, but I mean, it, that got cut, and um, fuck, what else got cut? Something else got cut. Motherfucker, oh well. 
Well, the only one who got cut is uh, Dio. That's another guy that got cut. It's five from hell. I just find this so funny. Is that like, oh, we're gonna we're gonna debut a brand new look. We're gonna have new new announcers and whatever. And it's like they don't even think it through because it's like he was on the show for what I want to say like two or three weeks maybe tops. And then the whole Brock thing happened, and now he's going back to the. Uh, the performance center to work and whatever, and it's just like, why did you even bring him into that position if if you really want? I don't know if it was his choice or whose choice, but I'm, uh, you know what I mean. Like, if you really wanted him to work, why didn't you just keep him down there, or whatever, working or do, do something? But uh, it's like, why? Why bring him up just to not even use him for? for I don't know. It's just a waste of time. I think. You know what the problem is? Is he wasn't the problem. I've heard Dio Madden. I he was calling. Was he calling two hundred five live with Vic Joseph? I want to say live. Yes. That's what it was. And I was like, wow, you know what? They have a pretty good sound. And when they could get Aiden English to shut the fuck up, I enjoyed the back and forth between Dio and Vic. The problem is Jerry Lawler because he even steps on Samoa Joe, and it's like you say, it's that attitude era joke bullshit. And he's trying to be that heel announcer, and he's just trying to be funny. Whereas Vic's doing play-by-play, and Samoa Joe, when when he's comfortable, and Jerry just shuts the fuck up, and he analyzes holds. He reminds me of the days where Taz was commenting or commentating on SmackDown, and I fucking love it. Yeah, Joe, when he's like analyzing a hold, he he reminds me of that, or like Joe Rogan analyzing a hold. When he, you know, commentating during UFC, he's really, really good. Yeah. And it's Samoa like. Joe, Samoa Joe on commentary. I hate it and I love it. I, I love it because he's actually damn good. But I hate it because he's fucking damn good. And you because want him I, and you want him in the ring. So you I don't want, want him on commentary. Uh-huh, because yeah. when, when that when that thumb gets healed up, like, I hope they don't treat him like they treated Austin Aries. Like, I hope he actually comes back as a monster heel and he gets a monster push. But if Vince loves him on commentary, he's probably going to be parked there for a while. Uh, well, that, I was I was telling this the other day. I was like, if you have this third man spot open to to wrestlers like Samoa Joe, who you know is going to be on the shelf for a few months, put him on commentary. Then when he's sealed up, who's who's also behind the scenes right now? Who's on the shelf for a few weeks? Put them on commentary. It keeps them, you know, on the on TV. You get to actually have them talk more. People can relate with him more. You kind of get more fans out of just doing this kind of role. But Cooter, man, going back to Jerry Lawler, I love Jerry Lawler. But no, man, like, his time has passed. I loved him with Jim Ross. I loved the jokes in the 90s, but they, yeah, you're right. They don't work today. And what's really sad is you have very, very talented commentators on the shelf that were your commentators on SmackDown. I used to love uh, Saxton, um, uh, Graves, and, and Phillips. When they were together in NXT, and when they were when they were on SmackDown together, I love it because it was like that well world machine that you have on NXT now with Ronaldo, Beth Phoenix, and Nigel. I think they were they were a well world machine, but the the problem is now you have Byron and Phillips, and they're doing 205 Live for Christ's sake with fucking Aiden English. This is bullshit. Get fucking Jerry out of there and put Byron on there. And, uh, we don't I even need you, three men, so we just need two. Yeah, two is fine. You br- you bring up uh, Phillips, Saxton, 
and Graves. And the, one of the reasons that I noticed that why they were just so good and they had great chemistry is because you could just tell that they were just having fun. Yes. It was just three friends on the commentating table just having fun. I mean, they, they made each other pop so many times. With some of the jokes that they said, especially Corey making fucking Saxton pop. Shut up, Phillips, or shut up, Saxton. I can't yeah, wait to hear that. They had great chemistry, and now it's like I don't feel the chemistry on Raw, and that's just only because of Jerry the King Lawler. And SmackDown, I mean, and you know, I love the two-man booth, don't get me wrong, but I just, I don't know. It's just, you know, Michael Cole is good. He has his good days, and he has his days where he's just heavily scripted. Yeah. And I don't think don't Graves have... I don't think Graves is a good fit with him. And quite honestly, I'm kinda sick of Corey Graves. Maybe it's because of the overexposure, because for all that time we had him on both Raw and SmackDown. Yeah. But you know, for the most part, if if Graves is not with somebody who I enjoy listening to him with, I could do without him too. I mean he's to me, honestly. He's 2019 Jerry Lawler. He's getting on my nerves. And, and you want to know something? You, you talked about how much you didn't like Renee Young commentating, commentating. But if you remember that one day when Vic Joseph was on with Renee and Corey, that chemistry with all three of them. Oh yes, awesome. absolutely. Yeah. And it's a shame they don't realize that because I mean we talked about before NXT. I think has we all I think agree that has like the best booth right now for any show going right now and it just no it works it works you know what i mean so and eh, we'll see what happens if they change anything up but poor dio i mean kind of i'm actually kind of happy for it but uh we're one heart attack away from a whole new booth pretty soon so <laughs> we'll see what happens but guys you know uh i, I hope do you don't listen to the show because he might see you at one of them northeast wrestling shows and fucking give you the pile driver well speaking of northeast wrestling uh we'll probably see him but we'll also be seeing jared Silverclight, the trust fund coming up right now with jb today I'm always excited for these interviews. You just We never know who we're going to get um, on the show. And uh, today we're kind of grassroots. We're homegrown. Um, it's, it's an amazing uh, person that we're talking to today. He is, you know, the benefactor of the trust fund. Uh, Jared Silberkleit, and uh, we're wow, wow! You actually pronounced it correctly. That never, that almost never happens. I, I said it in the mirror like a hundred times before you came on, but um, oh, I hope you did. We're we're super happy to have you here. Um, couldn't be a nicer guy. I know that you know we're not supposed to talk about that, but um, I want to. Oh, you think so? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's a, absolutely. That's, a, that's that's another rarity. Well, um, I want to kind of break this. Uh, for, well, first of all, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you very much. I get right into it. You know, I'm sorry. I just get excited. But um, so, you know, Jared, we um, we're no stranger to Northeast wrestling. We are based out of Poughkeepsie, New York, uh, where Northeast has ran um, a plethora of times. Um, we're also, you know, really near where you know all the shows uh, run. But um, you currently are the benefactor, as we we mentioned. So, um, can you yes, kind sir. of you kind of introduce yourself a little bit to people who may not know you? Um, just give us, you know, just kind of the brief rundown as what you're doing currently with Northeast Wrestling. Well, um, hello, listeners. I am, um, as you just mentioned, trust fund benefactor Jared Silberkleit, and that's S I L. B-E-R-K-L 
E-I-T. And right now um, in Northeast Wrestling, I have been managing there since mid-2017. I have uh, managed what you know as wrestlers, but what I term assets. And in the past, I represented Wrecking Ball Ligurski and most recently the one-man thrill ride and Ron Zombie from for the past about a year throughout most of 2019. Although at the last, not the last Northeast Wrestling event that took place, but the last one I was at, Autumn Ambush, back in October, um, there was a split. Uh, Thrill Ride decided to go off on its own, and I believe Ron may have joined him. So as of this moment, I am off. I'm off the radar right now. I'm kind of in reset mode. So I'm still still working with Northeast Wrestling, very much so. But uh, as far as when, where, and how I'm going to return and who I will be representing in the future, that right now is up in the air. But uh, I have been using my father's trust fund money to purchase wrestlers. Um, thankfully, uh, pretty much nobody is off limits for me. And over the last couple of years, um, I've been active um, at ringside, sometimes in the ring. I have competed in matches on certain special occasions. Um, and uh, unfortunately, uh, usually any physicality between me and any of the wrestlers usually ends up with me coming on the short end of the stick. Well, that's the that's the now. Um, that's where you are now. But let's uh, let's go back a little bit. We wouldn't be doing our uh, journalistic duties if we didn't go back in time a little bit. So um, let's go back. Let me ask the question to you. When do you think the first memory you have of professional wrestling is? Well, I am unlike many who get involved in professional wrestling. You hear from so many people in the business and in the industry that they were fans since the day they were born. One of their first television memories was watching WWF television or something like that. I didn't really start watching wrestling religiously until I was a teenager. I didn't start watching on a regular basis until about 2007. I mean, when I was a, when I was a little kid, I actually... I lived in Stanford when I was really young from about age five to nine. And I remember seeing the old WWE, well now WWE, former WWF uh, headquarters. And it's funny because I remember, you know, asking my mom uh, if I could go there because I thought that that's where they held all the wrestling shows. And not only did she explain to me that that's not, that wasn't the, the case, but she also thought that wrestling was like barbaric and wouldn't let me watch it. Um, so I had to wait till I was a little bit older and I kind of fell out of it, but then fell back into it. Started watching when, again, when I was like 13 and, um, around, uh, yeah, it was around that time. I remember watching, uh, you know, the, those AM raw reruns, they would show around 1am on Saturdays. I remember seeing a Shawn Michaels, Kurt Angle match that really, uh, got my attention. And it's funny because although I obviously kind of fell into the more, uh, theatrical and, um, you know, speaking aspect of professional wrestling, what initially drew me in was more of the pure in-ring storytelling and athleticism. Awesome. Awesome. So you mentioned Shawn Michaels, um, you mentioned Kurt Angle. Um, is it safe to say that, uh, you, those were some of your favorites growing up or did you, did you have favorites? How did you kind of get, cause you know, even though you've been physical in the ring, you uh, are more of a, I'll say, like manager type. So, um, of course, so absolutely. So, did you? I, obviously, you're drawn drawn to like the athleticism. But um, who were some of the people that kind of 
made you say like, oh, wow, this would be something that maybe I'd like to do? Uh, well, it's, it's interesting because I initially didn't start in wrestling as a manager. I actually started as a ring announcer and, um, <laughs> this is going to sound kind of crazy, but some of my early inspirations for, uh, well, I was drawn to, I was drawn to promo segments for sure. So guys like Shawn Michaels, John Cena, Edge, uh, because these are the guys that were on top at the time uh, when I started watching, really captivated my attention. Uh, Triple H a little bit as well. Um, but because, again, I, I wanted to get in it initially from the announcing, the person that I emulated my voice after, or at least attempted to, were, were more of like the Howard Finkel and um, Justin Roberts, uh, actually, because I, I first got into um, you know wrestling as far as performing on events, um, when I was about 17 as a ring announcer and interviewer, um, I didn't start uh, managing again until just a couple of years ago. And it was at that point where I was always a fan of Paul Heyman's work uh, with Brock Lesnar, which was such an, you know, such a natural transition for me because the first person I started working with was Wrecking Ball Ligurski. And I like to think that we were kind of like in that same vein, you know, the manager monster pairing. So Heyman was definitely a big one for me. Awesome. Now, um, you know, we, again, we know that you're now involved, but then, uh, you were, you were 13, you were, you were just kind of getting in, um, you know, getting back into wrestling. Um, how far did your, your fandom go? Were you going to the shows? Were you, uh, you know, wearing the shirts in school? Um, you know, a quick story for me is that I grew up kind of during the attitude era that was the time when obviously we all got in trouble for telling our teachers to suck it and wearing the Austin 316 shirt. So, um, how, um, how involved were you in, in wrestling back then? And, um, you know, when did you kind of get bit by the bug, as they say, to, uh, decide that maybe this is something that you'd like to do? Well, as far as a fan, um, now you, you just mentioned you had the benefit of, you know, being a fan during the attitude era, being a little older at that time, um, when it was kind of more, I guess, more mainstream and you saw more, um, wrestling shirts out in public and, you know, at school and whatnot. And it wasn't like that at my high school really at all. I kind of got lucky in that I found, uh, my kind of niche group of friends at high school who did like wrestling because nowadays, I mean, I think it's a lot easier now than it was 10 years ago to spot wrestling fans out in public, just because I think we're in the midst of another, you know, boom period. And, and they're starting to kind of come out of the woodwork, but around that 2007, 2008, 2009 period, it's almost like when you found a wrestling fan, fan you were like, Oh, all right, I found someone. So I kind of found my group of friends in high school from ages like 13 to 16, who were also into it. And yes, we did go to live events. I went to, WWE shows um, a lot in Connecticut and the first pay-per-view I went to was Hell in a Cell 2009 over at the Prudential Center in New Jersey uh, that was like a birthday present and when I was younger I I always wanted to get into sports announcing I had done uh, like some PA announcing for Little League and stuff like that um, and basically I found out um, through the through the battle brothers actually from Northeast wrestling, because the battles were family friends of one of my close friends at high school, actually, actually several of those guys. And through, through my high school friends, I met the battles who informed me about this independent company called CTWE, which ran the 
uh, what's now the NEW Arena, Bethany Town Hall over in Bethany, which was one of my hometowns, um, one of my high school towns. My high school was three was uh, three towns in Connecticut. So anyway, uh, long story short, I got to meet the promoter and you know, reiterate my interest uh, to get into announcing. And he let me ring announce and I got involved with CTWE, became a regular over there. I shared ring announcing duties and interviewer duties um, for about two to three years over there. And when that company closed its doors, Northeast Wrestling took over that building. And then I joined up with NEW in that same sort of role. Now CTWE, we um, some of our some of us that have been in the area for a while uh, know that that had some big names come through there. So we had, you know, Daniel Bryan, um, Loki came through there, and a lot of people yeah. that you're talking about that are now in, you know, Northeast Wrestling. Um, so for you, when you started to do that, um, was it something that you said like I'm? I'm hooked now. Like there's no way that I can ever do anything else. Or was it still kind of like growing pains and learning how to do it and really hone your craft? Like, cause like you said, you started out kind of doing announcing at that point. Was that kind of what you felt like that's, that's what you're going to say? Or is it something that you were like, uh, I think I could grow into maybe being more of a, you know, uh, quote unquote, like on air talent. Um, I'll be honest at that time. During the period I was with CTWE, I never viewed myself as really going to pursue wrestling as something that I could do full-time or potentially make a living at. Uh, I always viewed it as kind of, oh, it's a really cool thing that there's a local wrestling show in one of my hometowns, in the same town where I see all my friends and whatnot. And, you know, I never left the state of Connecticut during those few years. I worked for a couple other groups like Wrestle Jam, uh, but for the most part, I didn't travel really um, i kind of just did the announcing i thought it was a good way to kind of keep my public speaking skills fresh i had i was starting college around that time uh, because i graduated in i graduated high school in 2011 and um went to uh Connecticut school of broadcasting after that and started started my four years shortly after so it really was just kind of something i was doing on the side that was kind of like oh like i'm i'm a big fan of wrestling and i also get to do this stuff uh, for this local independent and be involved but i i really never had um i never had envisioned myself becoming as as much of an on-air talent as i have become now it was really not until northeast wrestling because they were the events were bigger and they traveled out of state frequently that kind of broadened my horizons. Like, Oh, there's a whole wrestling world out there that I had never even had the idea to explore really. Now working for Northeast wrestling, we know that, um, that again, some of the greatest talent ever comes through there. And, um, I could, we could sit here pretty much all day and, um, talk about some of the greats that come through there. So when you started kind of working for Northeast wrestling, was it um, was it hard to not like realize how big of a company that that really was and like how big these stars were coming through there? Oh yeah, I mean I definitely had my moments of getting starstruck just because I wasn't um, fully used to at that time uh, being um, in some of those locker rooms or backstage with a lot of the talent that you just mentioned. I mean guys like the Hardys and Ric Flair, Mick Foley. Um, Jimmy Hart, knowing that guys like Hulk Hogan um, had been there in the past, uh, Roddy Piper, 
um, Alberto Del Rio from um, that period, um, I believe uh, around 2015. Um, guys like that, it, it definitely was something to get acclimated to at first, just because at CTWE we did have some some name talent, and I think that um, they kind of CTWE in its final years kind of laid the groundwork for what would become when when Northeast Wrestling would take over that building full time. But it was kind of something like where you would see one guy like that at a CTWE show. On occasion, you'd be like, ooh. But then NEW, when you look around um, you know, some of these locker rooms and you can't believe at first who's there. But it was something that I got, I got used to, thankfully. Um, I think it was important to get used to that sort of thing before um, embarking on this uh, managerial journey because the more, the more that I was around them, that it's like they become you know, your, your colleagues, your peers, um, you know, and, and you're working with them in segments and stuff like that. So, um, I, I mean, I was thankful that in the year that in the years, uh, prior to that, I kind of got that starstruck bug out of my system, um, to where it's like, okay, now, um, I'm ready to, you know, get down to business. Well, you just mentioned that, you know, you're sharing the locker room with some of these people and, um, you know, nowadays we have the advent of the WWE network, um, DVDs, yeah. you can kind of go back and, you know, hone in on some of these uh, characteristics, these mannerisms of people. Um, when you decided to kind of take that leap from just being a ring announcer um, or helping out, however, and then thinking, I may try to do this managing thing, um, did you do your homework? Did you go back and see anybody and say, like, you know what, I'm going to try to kind of um, maybe emulate this a little bit or I like this, I'm going to add a little bit of that or whatever. Um, you know, obviously there's been some very historic managers over the years in all different promotions. Um, I'm just wondering if you did that, if you went back and kind of looked at some of those people. Well, Paul Heyman was definitely somebody who uh, I think um, I'd be lying if I said he wasn't on the brain during my initial foray into managing back around mid-2017. I always tried to do my own thing. I have I have prided myself on when I do, I guess, my version of like tape study when it comes to getting promo ideas or character ideas. I try to stay away from wrestling as much as I can because I find that, you know, tape study in wrestling is phenomenal for, you know, in-ring talent. And, you know, if you're a wrestler, right? But I, I've always found like that, in the promo department, uh, and there are definitely things that you can learn from, but for me, I always thought that if I study too many wrestling promos for my promo content, I'm either A, going to wind up copying somebody, or B, I'm going to fall into those wrestling tropes, those wrestling-isms, those wrestling cadences that I've always tried to like shy away from. I've always tried to draw my inspiration from, I've always thought of it like, when you see any form of public speaking in any form of entertainment, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, I'm talking movies, television shows, music, press conferences, interviews, sports talk shows. To me, any unbroken period of speech is a promo. And th- like, those outside sources to me, I thought that if I can draw from pick a like cherry pick from some of that content, that's going to help me stand out that much more because they're not going to be like, Oh, he's just another wrestling manager. He's this stereotype. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, it is, it's one of those businesses where you think that, um, you know, that 
it would be easy to come up with something new, but then you realize that, you know, it's been around for so long that sometimes it's very difficult to find your own style, you know, so um, kudos on you for trying that. And uh, so, you know, you, you're here in Northeast Wrestling, you are the benefactor of the trust fund. Um, yeah. As you mentioned earlier, we've you've had some ups and downs. So um, you know, I I'm sure a man like you is not going to just lay out what's going to happen in the in the future. Um, <laughs> but you know, with such great talent in Northeast Wrestling and you know beyond, um, what what are you looking for whenever you try to add somebody to the trust fund? Well, it's uh, it's interesting, right? Because it's, uh, I mean, you're always thinking about chemistry. You're always thinking about, you know, um, you want to challenge yourself by working with different types of characters. Um, but you also, you know, you want to find that spark, and you're not always going to have the same spark with everybody. But I think uh, what the the biggest things for me to get over uh, was at first, at least, was when I first started managing, I was just with Wrecking Ball Ligurski. Um, it was only me and him. And and Brian Malonis came into the fold a little bit later when um, uh, he was added to the faction back around uh, early 2018. So that was a second person. But Wrecking Ball was still my full-time guy on every show from mid-2017 to mid-2018. And it was almost it almost felt a little awkward for me working with other people at first because I was used to like I almost wasn't as comfortable in my own skin and I was like wrecking balls manager and now I kind of had to take that leap to become like you know my own person you know a manager that can go that can go with almost anybody and the dynamic you know manager and monster with wrecking ball versus uh what I had with thrill ride who obviously wasn't a guy who needed me to do his promos for him we complemented each other nicely. So I think that that experience has kind of opened my eyes to working again with, with like different types of characters. And I just, I look for guys who have that desire and who have, um, for one, you know, a certain uniqueness about them, um, work ethic and talent and someone who's going to challenge me to, to be the best I can be, because that honestly, that's how I felt in working with Thrill Ride. We all, we kind of, you know, obviously our relationship kind of went off the rails back in October. But prior to that, what I really liked the most about working with Thrill Ride was that when our promos were joint, they were almost 50-50 in a way when we were uh, both in front of the camera. And he is so talented. He's so talented on the mic. You know, I can't take that away from him. And it kind of, you know, made me want to up my game. And I love being inspired by other talent to kind of get up to their level. They're being the best wrestler they can be. I have to be the best manager I can be. Well, I know that you've had a lot of amazing moments in Northeast Wrestling um, and beyond. So what would you consider, like, right now, the maybe top three moments of your career so far? The top three moments of my career? Um, hmm. I'm going to have to go in no particular order here. Um, but the first one that comes to mind has to be the match that I had against Flip Gordon last summer at uh, the event was called long live the King at the NEW arena. Uh, this was my second ever full length uh, singles match. Um, 
first one I'm, I'm actually going to talk about next. Uh, but this was me versus Flip. It was the culmination of a storyline where um, basically Flip had ended Wrecking Ball's undefeated streak when he defended the title against him uh, three months prior. And then I negotiated for a rematch where if Flip beat Wrecking Ball again, then Flip would get five minutes alone in the ring with me. And I interfered, costing Flip the match, helping Wrecking Ball win. And as a result, um, Michael Lombardi put me in a singles against Flip with Mike himself as the referee. And to me, I, it was just such a, a different, it, it was such a different challenge for me because I had been a manager to this point, just having my moments here and there within matches, but this was me actually, um, you know, center stage as, you know, as, as a wrestler for, um, I mean, really th this was the most substantial, um, most substantial um, as far as, um, anything that's been asked of me from an in-ring perspective and to, to get in there with, with flip with where he's at nowadays. I mean, that's something that, um, I'll always have that memory and, uh, just feeling the utter disdain and hatred from the crowd on that night. And then the explosion when I got my comeuppance from not only flip, but from Michael as well. Um, it was, it was a very special night for me. And, uh, I kind of surprised myself with, with what I was with what I was capable of, in my opinion. So that is something that I'll definitely never forget. Uh, another one would be, hmm, if I had to think about it, I top three. It's it's challenging to do a top three, right? Uh, the month prior, actually, was this is also in 2018. Was me versus Hornswoggle from WWE. This was my first official match. And this was the entire segment. The way this came together was also pretty interesting because Wrecking Ball had a gauntlet, an open challenge gauntlet. He beat two guys and then Mick Foley came out almost kind of like he was going to be that third guy to challenge Wrecking Ball. And we had a little back and forth in the ring. This was at Six Flags Great Adventure. This was the first of what seems to be an annual event that Northeast Wrestling is going to be holding at that park. And Mick Foley actually brings out Hornswoggle to not wrestle Wrecking Ball, but wrestle me. And, you know, the two of us had a match. And this is something that I didn't find out until pretty much right then and there. Um, had no little to no advanced knowledge that anything like this could have been happening. And that, that was, again, one of those moments where I never would have envisioned myself in that situation. I'm in a match with Hornswoggle and Mick Foley's at ringside. And... Um, again, the, uh, the reaction from the people was everything that we could have hoped it would be, would have been. So that was pretty surreal. And number three, number three that I, I almost wish I could do a number four, but, uh, num I think a, a number three for me would be probably back at, uh, WrestleFest of this year, uh, where we had, the Trust Fund, myself, Thrill Ride, and Ron Zombie against Wrecking Ball, Ligurski, and Bully Ray. And this was, again, another culmination of a long-term story that we had been a part of for several months after Wrecking Ball had turned on me. And for however many months, I think it was all the way from September through September 2018 through March of 
2019, or actually this event would have been in late April, um, I had been sending guy after guy at Wrecking Ball, trying to beat him, trying to beat him, and Wrecking Ball kept winning and winning and winning. And finally, we have this tables match that ends with me going through a table, uh, Wrecking Ball splashing me through it at um, at WrestleFest in front of, um, you know, I, I think it was either a sold-out or near-sold-out um, crowd in Danbury in a building that Northeast wrestling has held many historic events in over the years. And again, I could just feel the, the fact that the crowd was invested not only in the match, but in the overarching story. And we put together a wonderful video package um, highlighting everything from beginning to end um, actually put together by your podcast co-producer, Steve Perito. So a big shout out to him. Uh, but that was just, I, I love seeing stories come full circle. And I think that that's kind of the theme of all of my favorite memories here in NEW. Well, you didn't just, you know, lend your services to NEW. You also went to um, what many is co- have called, you know, the third biggest company, the fourth, you know, it kind of staggers around there every now and then. But you went to Ring of Honor. So what was that experience like for you um, moving from Northeast to Ring of Honor? Uh, the opportunities that I got with Ring of Honor this year, I'm very, very grateful for, and I'm hoping uh, that they'll, uh, you know, hopefully uh, it means that uh, more uh, more big things will be on the horizon for me in the near future um, in wrestling. And it's uh, it, it's crazy how they came about. Um, I made my first appearance for them in a dark match before their event in Baltimore. This was about one week before Wrestle... This was, yeah, the week before WrestleMania 35 uh, this year. And that just kind of just came about the day of. And Ring of Honor was the first real... uh, Well, I was a fan of WWE. I was a fan of TNA. And then I was a fan of Ring of Honor as a teenager growing up discovering wrestling. And to see the transformation of this company as a fan and then all the times that I've gone to their live events and to finally walk down that aisle and know that like I'm on the other side of the guardrails now and, you know, standing in, standing in front of the crowd, knowing that it was being filmed uh, for, it was a dark match, but it was being filmed for their YouTube channel. Um, and it was gr- That was a tremendous experience. And then not only that, but the fact that I got to go back a few months later in Lowell, Massachusetts with Thrill Ride, that was also a totally surreal moment to me. We were at the Lowell Memorial Auditorium. This time, um, while the first appearance was on the, the was in the dark match, this was on the main card. And it felt like kind of the merging of two worlds in a way because of the um, the act between myself and Thrill Ride, um, our alliance that we had um, been fostering in Northeast wrestling, we brought it to the center stage of ROH in front of that audience, that new audience that hadn't seen us before. And there were a few people in the crowd that did recognize us that night, but it was just a great feeling to take it to another promotion in front of a new audience and, um, and just be ourselves. So it, uh, it, I mean, it's really one of the reasons that like 2019 um, has been such a special year for me in wrestling. I've had so many memories that um, I'll cherish for the rest of my life. Um, even if my, you know, my career could end tomorrow and I have, I still have so much that I thought that as recently as three years ago, I never could have imagined. Well, it is very, very 
um, timely that we're talking about kind of the the end of the year. We're we're at December right now, and um, 2020 is just around the corner. You've got a lot of amazing moments that happened in 2019. What are you looking forward to, both um, I guess personally and professionally, um, for the year 2020? Well, first of all, I'm, I'm looking forward to per, um, preserving my spine. Hopefully, uh, 2020 will bring less choke slams from people like Kaz XL because that pretty much became the story of my summer in 2019. Um, so uh, staying on my feet and off my back would be the top priority. But uh, as we move forward into the new year, uh, what I'm really looking forward to is the fact that, you know, so many people talk about new years and resolutions and fresh starts and new beginnings and all those things. And to me, this whole trust fund reset, which is kind of what I'm going through right now, finding out uh, what's next for me in my career as far as partnerships, as far as alliances and new assets, as I like to call, um, it's it's a great opportunity for, for that fresh start to reinvent myself, reinvent my brand. And I'm looking forward to finding my, my next Alliance, my next, my next guy or my next guys. Maybe it's, maybe it's several people. I think that it's great that I'm kind of entering the new year with a clean slate to um, write the next chapter of my book. And I'm looking forward to um, new dynamics. Um, And kind of like I talked about how wrecking ball and thrill right in the past have forced me to challenge myself in different ways and showcase different aspects of my personality. I'm hoping to experience um, those similar challenges um, positively next year in 2020 as we move forward and, and hoping to um, continue to be a part of some major uh, some major matches and some major programs, um, both in Northeast wrestling and um, all across the uh, wrestling landscape. I mean, I got to do some special things this year for sure. Uh, working um, the uh, an extended uh, series of matches with Thrill Ride, uh, managing him against Kaz XL, uh, with you know, accompanied by Enzo throughout the Northeast Wrestling Wrestling Under the Stars tour, um, which included a main event at the Norwich show. Which I mean, that was that was a super cool experience as well. So um, sky's the limit for me as far as I'm concerned. I, I'm hungry. I'm ready to show people uh, that I'm you know, committed to staying in that spotlight and continuing to grow and seize those opportunities. And um, I, I'm excited to see what, uh, what 2020 is going to throw my way because I, I love the fact that I have no idea at this moment. Well, one thing that we know is that uh, we loved having you on today. We can't thank you enough for doing this and uh obviously please come back anytime and uh we we wish you the best i know that it's uh easy to uh love to hate you sometimes but uh again it was it was really uh fun to get to know jared Silberkleit a little bit better today and um you know thanks so much for coming on uh thank you uh, you've actually been a uh, very appreciative and uh, polite considering that I bought my way onto your show uh, without uh, really going through the proper negotiation channels that I'm sure most of your other guests do. Uh, But I definitely enjoyed my time. I'd say it was money well spent and I uh, would greatly uh, welcome the opportunity to purchase more airtime and come back uh, in the future. (laughs) 
Well, absolutely. And I was going to say, you know, if there's uh, if there's ever a need for um, a podcaster or two in the trust fund, just let us know. All right. All right. I kind of I kind of like that. I think we might have to rename the show to Trust Fund Talk. Hey, that sounds that sounds great. You know, new year, new us. Yeah, we'll get we'll get you a nice new blazer. I mean, not not as nice as mine, of course. Of course, but uh, we'll 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 up your wardrobe a little bit to help you become a little bit more trust fund approved. Credo too. Credo knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> All right. Well, we thank you so much, Jared, and uh, have a great uh, great new year. And uh, we're looking forward to seeing you in Northeast Wrestling again soon. Sounds great. Thank you. And it won't just be a great new year. It will be trust fund approved. Guys, once again, thanks to Jared Silberclight, Northeast Wrestling, uh, the trust fund. We're trust fund approved now. I have a funny fucking story to tell you, too, about one of our sponsors. Why um, do I have a feeling it's Blue Chew? <laughs> <laughs> Did somebody get pregnant it's... off our promo code? <laughs> what happened? No. So the, the night before my surgery, you know, this one girl I know wanted to come over and hang out, oh, you know, Jesus. calm my nerves. So I'm like, all right, cool, because like, I was freaking out because since it's the eye, it's considered a major surgery. Yeah. You know? So I'm like freaking out, so like that. I've never had a major surgery done before at all. So she comes over, hangs out. I said, you know what? I just wanted like fucking just get crazy. I popped a blue chew. Oh my gosh. So then reality hit me, and I'm just like, was it a good idea to eat that? The night before surgery. Oh no! So I went on Google. Oh and man! I, I looked it up, and the first fucking thing I see is it's highly recommended you do not take in any Cialis, Viagra, Blue Chew, twenty four hours before surgery because it could dangerously drop your blood pressure, dangerously low to a point where you could have a stroke. Right yep. on your fucking table. Oh my so God. now my nerves fucking went nuts. I'm freaking out, man. I am panicking. I call my cousin Johnny. He knows. Cooter, you know Sexy Slim. Oh, of course. Guy knows the answer. <laughs> he knows the answer or the remedy to anything. And I'm freaking out. I'm like, Johnny, Johnny. He's like, what's up? He's like, I, I, I ate a blue chew. He didn't know what a blue chew was. He's like, what the fuck's a blue chew? I'm like, I eat, it's it's like a Cialis. It stays in your system for 36 hours. He's like, can you have a surgery? What, are you fucking stupid? I'm like, I wasn't thinking. I don't know what to fucking do. He's like, all right, nigga, this is what you're going to do. He's like, you got vinegar? I'm like, yeah, I got vinegar in the cabinet. He's like, normally it's a teaspoon, but you ain't got time to fucking do that. What time? He's like, it's about 8 o'clock right now at at this time. He's like, you can't taking anything after midnight right i'm like yeah i can't take anything on my stomach he's like you got four hours like that he's like take a teaspoon of vinegar right now whatever you got take it down go to the store get a gallon two gallons of water and try to take in a gallon and a half of water before midnight (laughs) watch your system so i'm fucking pacing around my fucking apartment trying to chug as much water as possible without putting my body through shock like that and I'm freaking out and I'm trying to look up. I'm I'm <laughs> I messaged Blue Chew. Oh to, I'm talking I'm talking to one of the fucking live reps. Fucking like I'm talking to Blue Chew. 
like the live reps, trying to ask them questions just to confirm if I'm going to die or not tomorrow. <laughs> I just need to know this. And I'm looking up other stuff. I was like, how to flush it out of your system quickly. Like that. I literally chugged a gallon and a half of water in four hours. And I've never been so paranoid in my fucking life. I got to the fucking to the hospital the next day and my cousin came with me. He's like, yo, if they ask you, you better tell them that you ingested it. And I'm like freaking out. I was like, it's kind of embarrassing, especially the person's fucking hot. <laughs> Well, you, yeah, you, 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 you're not you glossing over the most important part. Did you drop a pint of banana juice on this chick, or were you like, oh shit, I shouldn't have done that, and then fucking started freaking out? No, I, I wasn't thinking until she left, and then when she left, <laughs> that's when like re- reality hit, and I was like, maybe I shouldn't have took this. And then once I saw the first thing I saw when I googled it, the the whole warnings and all that stuff, dude. I've never been so paranoid in my fucking life. I was freaking out, man. Cooter, I thought I was gonna die. It, I was like calling my parents, like telling, like t- just letting them know how much I love them. Like you're just going to surgery, you'll be all right. I'm like, I hope. <laughs> you know, you never know. Cooter, <laughs> if he would have died, we would have been like, holy shit. And then like months later, the story comes out that he popped the blue chew. Now me and you were going to be looking at each other at the funeral being like, oh my God, he got it off the promo code. <laughs> it all goes back to the damn. Goddamn sponsor killed somebody on our show. <laughs> <laughs> it would have all come back to us, Scooter. And then like we're getting sued because we uh... had the promo code and then he had the drugs. I'm like, oh my God, we killed him. Do, the worst you know part what this like... reminds me of? What? Do you guys ever see that movie, Something's Gotta Give? Yeah. Long, yeah, a long while ago. It's Jack Nicholson and what's her fucking name? That old hag. But the point was when he has, he goes to have the heart attack and he's in the hospital and they run to give him some like nitroglycerin or some shit like that. And they asked him if he took any Viagra or anything like that. He's like, no, no, absolutely not. Because he was about to dump the load on the daughter. <laughs> so he popped the Viagra. He goes, oh, good, because I'm a guy about to give you some nitroglycerin and this this will for sure kill you if you ingest no no i took my agra i took my agra yeah <laughs> no, so, uh, i made it through wow i made it through the surgery they i the anesthesia did not kill me so <laughs> you yeah. understand like the nurse was like you don't have to be so nervous it's okay i was like if you only knew <laughs> i'm alive and i didn't you know pop one on the operating table you know, then, you know, the blue Can you imagine that? <laughs> They're working on his eye and all of a sudden he's got a pencil box. <laughs> and the funny thing, during, during the surgery, like, I, I can communicate. I was awake. So if they ask questions, I'll just, you know, it's bluechewjob.com from AWP. <laughs> that's, that's a good commercial right there. I'm on the, I'm on the operating table and, you know, the bluetooth kicks in. <laughs> I'm still going back to it, man. If you died and that happened, like, it would have been horrible. But at the same time, like, me and Cooter would have known. Then it would have come out like, hey, what what happened? Did they ever find out what happened? What happened to Mike? I, or, I don't know they, if they, I could go to I, – I wouldn't have been able to go to your funeral, bro. They would be like, well, yeah, we found Bluetooth in his system. I'm like, I'm t- uh, Cooter, the first the first time we would have found that out, like, I'm calling you. You're calling me. I'm, not, I'm, I'm actually picking up the phone this time because I'm going to be like – it was the blue chew. It was like I, I couldn't. I wouldn't be able to look sexy slim in the face, bro, at your funeral. <laughs> I wouldn't be able to do it. He'd be like, "Yo, yo, 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 yo. you gave him dick pills, bro. You gave him dick pills. <laughs> what were you thinking, bro? 
I didn't give it to him. I'll tell you something, man. Johnny, my cousin, if, if you ever have a situation, whether you're hooked up with a chick that's a burner, whether, whether you know you need to tell if a chick's a tranny or not, where you, you need advice like just off-the-wall shit like that, you contact him. He will have an answer for you in under a minute. Shout out to Sexy Slim, <laughs> goddamn it! You will Shout have out an to answer Sexy for you Slim. in under a minute. He knows. <laughs> he knows how to react in situations, what to do. It, it, when I called him up, freaking out that I, I I popped a blue chew the night before surgery, he knew exactly what to do. It's like he's done this before. So the instinct. I, I was pissing so much, man. That ga- I was trying so hard because I, I've heard horror stories of people who've chugged large amounts of water in under, like, three hours, and their body goes through shock. Yeah, so I'll watch all the sodium like, out. I'm sitting there like, I hope I don't fucking die in here. <laughs> you you could have died multiple I, ways. I actually had that happen to me. I was at a bar, and the bartender pulled out a fucking gallon of water. He says, if you could drink this gallon of water in five minutes, he goes, I'll let you drink here for tonight for uh... free. I was like... All right, motherfucker, I'll take that bet. Bro, let me tell you, because I had drank a bunch of fucking fruit punch. I, was, I think we were mixing, um, God, what, what's the grain alcohol? So we were mixing that with fruit punch. So I had a nice little buzz going. But the point was, chugging. I got five minutes to drink this thing. I'm like three quarters of the way down. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to get this. And he, he looked worried, like, oh, shit, he might actually do this. Well, once I got to that last quarter and I started drinking, all of a sudden I just fell right over, bro. My body just gave out on me. That is no joke. I thought it was going to happen to me. Everybody started laughing. I ended up going in. Well, I get the last laugh. You know why? Because I had to run to the bathroom. And next thing you know, I'm puking all over the urinal. It looked like fucking period blood all over the... Because all the fruit punch came up. It's all over the floor, on the toilet. I fucking puked everywhere. Fuck you, motherfucker. Clean that shit up, because your ass did that to me. Uh. Like, I was, it, it was the night that the uh, Survivor Series is on, too. So I'm trying to watch Survivor Series and pay attention to that while I'm freaking out trying to chug water. <laughs> I was wondering why you were so quiet in the chat. And then the walkie out. I wasn't talking that much in the chat Survivor Series night because I was trying to like save my own life. You know, I was trying to trying to flush the blue chew out of my system the best I can. <laughs> and the advice he gave me, I, I guess it worked because I'm alive. Right. I did not have a stroke on the operating table. Wow. You remember when you were always ready to go? Now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed. Listen up. You can take them anytime, day or night even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill, so you can be whenever an opportunity arises. That's bluechew.com. That's blue, like the color blue. Blue Chew is prescribed online, and is shipped straight to your door in a discreet package. So no in-person doctor's visits, no waiting in line in the pharmacy, no, hey guys, Got your dick pills over here ready? No. <laughs> best of all, it's just no more awkwardness. It's the best thing. They're going to send it to your house in a discreet... No one's going to know that you're getting dick pills in the mail. 
<laughs> That's true, because, you know, guys, right now, we got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when you use our special promo code AWP. Just pay 5 bucks for shipping. Again, that's BlueChew.com. B-L-U-E-C-H-E-W.com. Promo code AWP to try it for free. That's right. They're made in the USA, and since Bluetooth prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. What else could you want, bitches? Bluetooth is better, faster, and the cheaper option. And we want to thank Bluetooth, us, from another wrestling podcast for the sponsorship. Guys, I wanted to talk to you about something. Maybe you could bring it up. Maybe you have some personal stories about this we could just mention briefly. Uh, have you ever been burned by a wrestler in real life that maybe you're either going to go meet them or you saw them, and just from that moment on you just hated them, no matter what they've done in their career? You just always go back to that one moment. I have two wrestlers that have, that have happened with me, and I'm like, I can't get over this or whatever happened, and I'm like, I just I still hate them no matter what they do. I just hate them. I know what I know which one yours is. I have two though. I have two. One of them is Tommaso Ciampa. That's right. <laughs> and the other is uh, Dean Ambrose. I was gonna say that because Mister Mister Happy Face. Mister Happy Face. Well, that not not because of recently. It all goes that. So okay, here, here's the whole story, really quick. Uh, when we first started the podcast, of course, we just go ask people to be on it. And I remember we asked Tommaso Ciampa at a Northeast Wrestling show uh, if he'd want to do the interview. And without even saying, hey, guys, no, sorry, thanks for asking me, whatever, it was like, I forget the exact word. I'm trying to think. JB would know this better, but I know we ended up to ask him, and he's like, I don't do that. He's like, I just want to wrestle. And, like, just the way he said it was so, like, weird, like... You didn't have to even say all this. All you had to say was, no thanks, guys, but I appreciate it. I'm busy, whatever. I got to walk the dog. I got to take a shit. Something different. <laughs> but but it was like, oh, I don't do that. You know, I just want to wrestle. Or something like, it was like, all right, you're a fucking idiot. Whatever. So that it was just the way he it responded to us kind of like, was like, I was... It was just like a fuck you to me. So I was like, fine, fuck you. Uh, and then the other one was Dean Ambrose. It was at WrestleMania All Access, so we waited for fucking ever to fucking meet the Shield. We waited, we waited, and we get up to him, and you know, like, he was just the most miserable person to fucking... Like, you can't even say hi, or like it was just sign it and hand it, and it was just like, why are you even fucking here? You wanted to be this person, and you're not even being that person. So ever since then, I hated Dean Ambrose. Uh, it was just like one of those moments, but have you guys ever had a moment, especially you at home listening, if you ever had that moment... Let us know another wrestling podcast.com. Tweet us, fi- oh, Facebook us, whatever. Yeah, who Mike, do you have? I know I know my I know who Mike has. Who do you who do I have? You have Sanjay Dutt. You know, I forgot about that one. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't the one I was gonna bring up, but I'll bring that one up in a minute. I'll tell you a funny story. Um, so this was back maybe two thousand six, two thousand seven, I wanna say. It was a SmackDown house show at the Mid Hudson Civic Center in Poughkeepsie. And me and my friends would always go early and stand out back when the wrestlers pulled in. Who was on the card? Um, I'll tell you, one guy I know for sure was on the card, and it was Batista. <laughs> okay. Um, I remember one of the matches was, um, I think it was Elijah Burke versus CM Punk. Um, oh, wow, okay. I want to say... 
I remember Mark Henry came back from injury before he did how before he came back on TV. He was debuting there, and we had front row seats too, which was awesome. But I remember that show because we went me and a group of friends. We used to roll deep to these fucking shows. It was like seven or eight of us. We would go to the back, hang out for when the wrestlers pulled up, and we would try to get pictures or stuff like that. And then we saw Batista pulling in, right? And he pulls in, and I don't like right towards the back, towards the where you guys and then people at home aren't going to know the Civic Center, the layout, how the back is, but it's it's not that big, and it's actually kind of narrow and tough. But people are pulling in their cars. Batista pulls in, and we're standing probably, I want to say maybe ten feet away from Batista's car, and we're. Yelling for Batista to come over, take some pictures. He looks at us through the window. Doesn't even get out of the car. Just gives us this look. Emotionless look. Not even happy. Sits there for like a minute. Opens the door finally. And instead of getting out of the car and just walking straight to the door, he actually gets out of the car, walks around the back of the door, back of the car, to the other side of the car where now the car is between us and him and it walks around all the other cars so we don't go to him and the look he gave us was the nastiest fucking look we have ever gotten from a professional wrestler like he wanted nothing to do with us and from that day forward we hated him because he didn't give us now the Sanjay Dutt story (laughs) that's my favorite I've told this story a couple times on this podcast. So I think we have video footage of this, too. There is video footage. It's on my computer. <laughs> um, I have to find it. Yes, you do. But for the people who don't know this story, so Cooter and I went to a Global Force wrestling show. The only Global Force wrestling show at the Civic Center. I was wondering because you and JB were working the boards that night. 122-16. 2016. And there was an you know an autograph signing beforehand, so you know I met Colt Cabana, I was talking to some other people, and then there is Sanjay Dutt, and I was familiar with Sanjay Sanjay Dutt from TNA, the X Division. I thought he was pretty good, so I went to him, and I'm just like you know I would definitely like to take a picture with you, and then he's like oh no pictures yeah, it's uh, I believe it was like five bucks for pictures or something like that. And we take a picture, and all I had on was a 20. So I'm like, okay. He's like, oh, all right, well, let me go get you some change. Oh, no. Okay. So he takes my $20 bill, runs off, comes back. He's like, oh, I couldn't get any change, but here's an 8x10 I signed for you. Uh. And it just hands it to me, doesn't even say like thank you or anything like that, just hands me the 8x10 quickly, and then goes back to making money off of other people. Oh my gosh. And I'm standing there like, just like, this motherfucker just gave me, what the you fuck so mad. I do with a fucking 8x10? <laughs> and then I'm watching him. And I'm fucking watching him. He had change. That he had change. Ugh. I was so mad. My I was God. telling him I wanted my $20 back. No, as he's going to the ring, he goes, 
you just see Mike get so mad and Stephanie goes, I want my fucking change. <laughs> and then you look on the stage where Credo and JB is, and Credo's just shaking his head like, oh no. <laughs> like, I'm never bringing you, you, can't bring you guys anywhere. He robbed me of $20. That picture I took with him wasn't even worth five bucks. He robbed me of 20 bucks. Oh, I've never had a bad interaction with anybody. I really haven't. And as a matter of fact, any interaction that I've, because I try to avoid it, because I don't like talking to people. I just don't. I don't. I don't want to be that guy who who does interviews or takes pictures. It's like some guys, yeah, sure, but I mean, for the most part, I kind of like to be left alone too. You know what I mean? And but anytime I do have interaction with people, like like the Marty Janetti one, or. The Sabu one, Credo. You remember that one. Remember. You're like how I fucking, how I parlayed that one that night. He's like, oh, shit. <laughs> that's another good story was, for you. Oh, that's a great story, which we can't tell. I, I, well, I know, well, you're speaking that you don't have any ones. I go back to this. This is years ago, and I'm trying to remember the whole story as you're talking. The Raz, a friend of the show from Poughkeepsie, right? Oh, that's mm. right. I was going to bring this one up. The just incredible one. <laughs> <laughs> just incredible story, and this is, it's. Oh, I'm trying. So, if for those of you who don't, don't know, just incredible ECW, right? Uh, Aldo Montoya for those <laughs> listening. TJ Polacco. Yeah. So, I, he's so bizarre to me. And uh, what, here's the thing: I forget whose autograph signing it was. Collector's realm. I think it was, it was a, Sabu. Was it Sabu? Somebody. It was collector's realm with Poughkeepsie. Or Sandman. Somebody in Poughkeepsie, maybe it was like Jimmy. No, it was like Jimmy Hart was there or something like that. And no, so, yeah, so so it was it was like some random name like that. It was like a Jimmy Hart or Bret Hart or something was up there. Was and, it collector's realm? Yeah, collector's realm when it was in Poughkeepsie. So here's the thing. They so it was advertised. I'm just gonna say it was Jimmy Hart. And Jimmy Hart, the mouth of the South, is gonna be here uh, between whatever one and three. Coming, you know, get autographs and signing pictures. So everybody's going to see Jimmy Hart. And then all of a sudden, Aldo Montoya, just incredible. He just comes and is like sets up shop in the same room where Jimmy Hart is just to sell autographs. He brings like this little briefcase and he pulls out 8x10s. But it's not really 8x10s. It's just computer paper he printed with his picture on it. <laughs> and and there's no sign for whatever and I think it was the Raz that asked him I think he was the first one to, to for this to happen to him. and I remember watching it and I'm trying to remember because this is like years ago this is probably 2013 or 12 or something like that and he it was like he gave him like without even him asking for it he gave him a picture that he signed that he printed out from his computer and then he's like $10 please like he he's like wait what so he hustled him for $10 of his own fucking autograph, and it was just like, I didn't even want to meet you. You put this in my hand, and now i got to pay you $10? <laughs> it was like, it was so sad. And then they had to kick him out because he wasn't supposed to be there. And then after that night, Justin Credible would show up at all these other autograph signings and just plant himself into these autograph signings just to try to make money. And I, I think the guys had drinking problems or whatever kind of problems, but like... It was so bizarre because it was like every time there was a signing on, we had to get security to make sure Justin Credible wouldn't show up. Or like that would be the thing. he would show up at a lot of uh, Northeast Wrestling shows. Yeah, just and he a- would just be in the crowd and he would be sitting there. People would walk up to him and he would just be sitting. There, oh yeah, I'll take a selfie with you. But it'll co- he was charging people like ten bucks to take selfies in the crowd. Who was first, him or Virgil? 
Oh, Virgil's got him beat, but but that was I, I'm pretty sure that was the the, uh, the Sabu signing because I remember that and I remember be, and that was the running joke is that we had this computer paper signed fucking photo of him and for months and months and months when we would do um, <laughs> marked up we would try to use it as a fucking like as a what you call it like a prize or something <laughs> try to give it away can't even give it away we couldn't <laughs> give it away for free nobody wanted this fucking thing the raz I don't know, man. That was probably one of the funniest things I've ever heard. Well, it, it, how about okay? One more story of Justin Credible because this goes back, I think, a, a year or two before that incident, and it was at a big autograph signing where actually he was actually booked to be there. And this is like when the WWE Encyclopedia was brand new, and you know everybody's like getting it signed, and I was all about it. I still, you know, like I, I have it signed by a bunch of people, but I'm kind of like, eh, whatever anymore. Anyway, uh, whatever autographs. It was in Danbury, Connecticut. I think this might have been the Ric Flair place. I'm not sure. Uh, oh, the Big Time Wrestling Show. Yeah, the Big Time. Yeah. So it was like Honky Tonk Man was there, Greg Valentine, and, and so on and so forth. And so I was Backlund, trying to get, I was trying yes. to get my book signed. So I give it to to him to sign under. I, I don't know what he signed under, or, but I think I gave it to him to sign under Just Incredible. And then he's like, "Oh, I'm in here two other times for for Aldo Montoya and." Uh, some some other faction for ECW or whatever. I was like, he's like, do you want me to sign there too? I was like, yeah, sure. And he signed three pages, and he's like, oh, that's gonna be thirty because I signed three times. I wanted to fucking like smack him with my book because he signed his name three times. It was more money. It was just like he couldn't just sign his name next to the picture. I'm like, this is fucking ridiculous. Like you, pen, like. Is this what it's come down to, Justin? Am I like paying your mortgage now, like because you signed your name three times? My goodness, you can't even be thankful for the fans even wanting your autograph. Now it's like it started to break down. I think from that moment, then he just kind of inputted himself into all these autograph signings and his little fucking print home homemade printer eight by tens. Sad, sad story. I don't know. But, all right, I, I do have one. Uh oh, we got one. It, it wasn't. It wasn't a. It wasn't. Like I got burned, but it was it was very awkward. Oh yeah. Um, so it was right before it was it was a couple of hours before the Iron Sheik roast where we went to. Ah. Um, that's the same night where I met Janetti and, and and that <laughs> famous story happened, and then fucking. But I mean, I got at this place not realizing that I didn't want to hit traffic. Yeah. So I got there like three or four hours or so. So you know what? I'll just hang out at the bar, get drunk, eat something, you know, whatever. And little by little, guys just started walking in. You know, Scott Hall came in, Jake Roberts was in there. Um, and then Virgil came in, and that was fucking hilarious. <laughs> um, but before anybody really came in, I, I saw a guy. I didn't recognize him. I had no idea who the fuck he was. And I'm sitting there drinking. And he's he's ordering like like four or five different drinks. And he's not a waiter. So I'm like, where are you going with all those? I'm like, you want me to give you a hand? You know, I don't mind because I'm not fucking doing anything. And he said, yeah, sure. You don't mind? I'm like, I'm bored. I'm, it's fucking show doesn't start for like three hours. I'm like, I might as well do something, right? He was like, yeah, sure. Why not? I walk in the room, and the first person I see is fucking me and Gene Oker, and I'm like, oh, me. shit. <laughs> and everybody's looking at me like, who the fuck is this asshole holding our drinks? And I remember Sean Oliver was in the room. Um, what the fuck was his name? 
Like a like a Miami Vice, the Hawaiian Don guy. Morocco. Don, Don Morocco was in there. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. That's right. That was the other guy I recognized right off the bat, and they were all looking at me like, well, "Who the fuck are you?" I'm like, it was just awkward. I'm like, "Hey, I'm just helping the guy carry drinks. I'm going back to the bar." And he's like, and Sean's looking at me. He's like, "Oh, you, you," because he saw that I had the the badge for the show. Yeah. He's like, "Oh, oh, you, you, you're at the VIP signing." I was like. Yeah, I'm like I just coming from pretty far distance. I got here mad early. So, oh, oh, well, thanks for coming. I'm like, all right, I'm going back to the bar now. Like, peace. But it was, just, but there must have been like five or six. Kevin Sullivan was in there. Was another one. <laughs> but it was it was just very awkward. And they're just all looking at me like, who does that? I'm like, oh, okay, I'm weird for being a nice guy. But you know, I walk in a room with a bunch of fucking former stars and shit. You know, like. <laughs> I mean, that's the closest to a bad experience. It was just awkward. Yeah. Like, I wasn't expecting it because he didn't warn me ahead of time. Either way, it's not as awkward as taking a blue chew before major surgery. On uh... <laughs> <laughs> you're never gonna let that. You're never gonna let that die, bro. <laughs> We're never no, gonna let Mike stupidity. die. We're never gonna let Mike die. My, my stupidity. I'll never do that again. My advice to everybody: if you have surgery before you take anything. Whether it's blue chew or fucking, I don't know, drugs. Maybe you should <laughs> Google it before you're having surgery. Just, just, just a thought. Google it. Don't, don't do what I did. You know what I'm gonna do for you, Mike? Because you, you, you survived. I'm gonna take you to the Olive Garden and get you some breadsticks and meat sauce. Oh. Me and my good friend Soul Train Jones. Google it. I think you're gonna get a new shirt soon, Mike. Google it. <laughs> All right, guys. Anotherwrestlingpodcast.com. Till next week and whatever remaining weeks we have left in 2019, because 2020 is approaching, fellas. And I'm hating life right now, so fuck you, bitches. <laughs> enjoy life, man. I work for the post office. This is not the time of year where I can enjoy it. Thank oh, you. That's right. So if you guys are getting anything for your loved ones this holiday season, Amazon.com is the place to go. Keep oh, Cooter working God. through the weekends and through. I the... got kids to feed. No, I don't. <laughs> well, there you go. Until next time. Bitches. Bitches.